Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. American filmmaker Patrick Wang is back with a new film following his auspicious debut, Within the Family and his follow-up, The Grief of Others. Patrick is back actually with two films called A Bread Factory Part 1 and A Bread Factory Part 2. They're the story of Dorothea and Greta and so much more. It's the story of these two women who have bought a bread factory in a small town called Checkford. It's about the arts. It's about community. It's about relationships. It's about change. But most of all, it is about humanity. The film covers the story of this community gathering place, this art center, and the people who, whose lives intersect with Dorothea and Greta. It is about a lot of different things, but at the end of the day, it is about the relationships that we have with each other and how we value those relationships. We're joined today by the director and writer of A Bread Factory Part 1 and A Bread Factory Part 2. That would be Patrick Wang. Patrick, welcome back to Film School. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much for being here. Um, tell me a little bit about the, the origins of the stories, and there are many stories in, <laughs> in uh, the, um, A Bread Factory. Tell me about where they came from. Yeah, maybe... Um... You know, I think you have a finite length to your radio show, so I'll, I'll focus on two. Okay. Um, one is maybe the central story of, you know, this couple, Dorothy and Greta, and this place. And when I was on tour with my first uh, film in the family, uh, it was a theater called uh, Time and Space Limited up in Hudson, New York. And that's a city about two hours north of New York, and I'd never been there. And they invited me to come show the movie. And I thought, oh, that's great. I've heard wonderful things about it. It was in the fall, and, you know, there's really nice uh, ride along the river and with all the trees changing colors in the fall. So I went uh, to this place, and I arrived in this building, and the second I stepped in, it felt so familiar. Um, and I think people who go on tour kind of feel this. You know, musicians may, um, you know, actors who tour... But, you know, you walk into a space and you, there's so much you recognize. You, you understand, you know, the kind of people who move through here. You understand the things it takes to keep a place like this going. Um, and, and, I, and I went there and I didn't step in and think, movie. <laughs> uh, yeah. I stepped in and I thought, well, this is a nice place. And I'm remembering, uh, you know, growing up in spaces like this and being taken care of and introduced to art uh, by women like the two women who ran this space. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, it was just nice to remember. Um, and I didn't think about it as a movie. And then a couple years later, I remembered it again. And I thought, well, you know, that's a nice place to live in for a while, um, to live in that kind of warmth of a place like that, while looking and thinking about these other modern things that are a little colder and a little harder to make sense of. Um, and so they kind of became very nice companions in that way. And... As I thought, you know, well, my first two movies took place largely in homes. Mm -hmm. And as I thought, here, oh, I'm moving out into a community. It became pretty clear to me at, pretty early in the writing that, it, you know, it needs more space. And so 
I found a longer form in these two films. And once you expand the form a little bit, a lot of these different ideas can kind of fit in. And one of these other strands of, you know, where did it come from? Uh, I, I was supposed to direct a radio play production of, uh, of Hecuba, of the, the Euripides drama. Mm-hmm. And it never happened, but I had it on my mind as just sort of one of these leftover artistic projects that you had started thinking about and never realized. Um, and so it kind of came in casually into this script. And uh, then it became, when I saw the overlap and the themes between what was going on in this town and in the play, it turned into something quite central. So there's a lot of these little sparks, and they, you know, they play out differently, grow into mm-hmm. other things. Uh, but that's a couple examples. Mm-hmm. And the idea of turning this into a, essentially two films, how did that... We're, we live in a time when, as with the advent of and the ascendancy of Netflix and Amazon Prime, and these, we see a lot of serialized versions of what would have been films from a previous era. Um, mm-hmm. Is was that part of an impetus for you to turn these into two stories, or, or did you feel that there was such a distinctive quality to the to these two parts of the story that 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 would prompt you to want to do it this format? The format I was thinking of at first was miniseries. Um, and I was thinking of uh, Bergman's three miniseries, which I love very much. Mm-hmm. Um, even like Out One by Rivette or, um, or Fussbender's um, World on a Wire. Um, I love what those accomplish. And I think that it's, it feels different than serialized drama to me because it feels still compact. And, you know, these are undoubtedly filmmakers, and I think that there is a density when they work long form um, that I don't quite feel in, um, you know, regularly in in kind of modern serialized drama. Mm. So I think those were my models, and I thought this was going to be a miniseries at first. But then it just very, you know, for the dramaturgical reasons, split very evenly into these two halves. It made sense. Uh, different things happen, and one comes to a nice conclusion uh, mm-hmm. that it ended up being the form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and it, you're right. I, I, I love uh, the way that the, the part one ends. Um, it's, an, it's a twist. It's an un- unexpected part, but it, it's, a, it's a nice break. It's the break that mm-hmm. it, you know, it leads you into this, the second part of the film. One of the things I was struck by in part one, throughout the films, the two films, but part one especially, was the humor in it. Um, I, I really, uh, having seen in the family, it was I wouldn't. It was a little bit unexpected, but I what I liked about the type of humor that you brought into it. This very there's there's there is obviously the the dialogue, the interplay between Tyne Daly, uh, between Dorothea and Greta, I should say, is mm-hmm. is funny. She. Tyne Daly has a wonderful sense of timing when it comes to humor, oh, to yeah. delivering a line. Um, and the, but then there's other sort of more uh, sort of blackout comedy or and some physical comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me a little bit about your you know sort of your your sense of of humor and 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 how you approached it in in uh, in these films. Yeah, it's pretty indiscriminate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, and I, and I think that that's what, when we were making, you know, like In the Family was a drama, 
it, it had some, you know, comic moments. Yeah. Um, and I think its secret was that there were really good comic actors in it. But, you know, one of the things I liked is that it used, I just used whatever worked or whatever I thought would serve the drama. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same thing with the comedy. I, I do like that. You, you're right. A lot of times a comedy is a type of comedy and it maintains itself pretty firmly in whatever class uh, it sets out to be in. And I like the idea that, yeah, it can be very, you know, verbal um, type of comedy, or it can be, um, it can be almost sitcom-y in a moment. Right. It can be visual comedy. It can be physical comedy. Um, yeah, I just, I, I guess I'm an easy laugh. So yeah. <laughs> anything that amuses me kind of, uh, and, and also, you know, that amusement is a tool towards something. Um, and I think like all these different types of humor help me to understand or help me to understand the people or what's going on. Um, and so if it's useful, it's in. Well, and one of the the reason I bring this question about comedy into our discussion is because both films have, there's, they're dealing with some fairly serious issues, uh, you know, personal issues, life and the meanings of life and the different the, the way that these characters are, uh, some are at the beginning of their life, some are near the end of their life, the, the spectrum of that. And mm-hmm. these can be, obviously, these are very serious topics or serious um, avenues that in, in, in your film. But at the same time, throughout it, there is a consistent sense of joy mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and, and, and an empathy for humanity in your films. And I... Well, often I've often used the the word this humanism to describe this film to others. That's just so impressive. But it, it's that l- sort of leavening of the bread, if you will, is the humor. But at the same time, there are there are a lot of very kind of dramatic elements to the film. And yeah. so I so that's why I so appreciated how you were able to introduce that into into this. Uh, not the not the least of which, which was just hilarious, was the sort of Dada kind of comedy you introduce with. Uh, with May Ray in the film, and we can. We, I don't want to get too specific. We haven't really. We we need, I think, to describe more of the the contours of the film. But um, that I just wanted to let you know. I just it it really is. It's such a great element to to both films. Thank you, and it's uh, it it feels funny to hear it described as you know something you, I do. Um, it's basically a reflection of you know the humanism is. I I know a lot of humans. <laughs> and and I and I like a lot of them. <laughs> At the same time, I th- I find a lot of the things they do and say very funny. Yes. Um, and so it's just a and I'm very loving and all these other things. And I think that you know it gets distilled in a way in these movies. But you know its impetus is in how I just this is just how I see people. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's terrific. Well, let's talk a little bit about the sort of the. The, the details of the story. The, and I would just okay. describe the first one as it's it's setting up what's going to happen in the second film, but it's so much more. And why, why don't you do, you'll do a much better job of sort of describing the broad outlines of uh, For the Sake of Gold. Yeah, so the first film, is it's a pretty traditional kind of second. structure to the drama, yeah. you know. We have this small town, and there's this uh, community art center that's been there for... Uh, 40 years, and what's happened is there's just these these celebrity uh, performance artists from China 
with a lot of funding, a lot of uh, a lot of hype, have built this huge uh, institute down the street. So it's a tiny town, and yet there's this huge institute, um, and they're kind of soaking up all the air (laughs) in town. People are excited about it. They can't talk about anything else. And then one of the things that happens is there's now a proposal that the school arts funding, you know, which has been whittled down over the years and supports these uh, arts programs at the Bread Factory, which is the the community arts space, is being threatened. And the idea is we'll take this from the community arts space and we'll give it to this um, glitzy new thing Mm -hmm. um, that is the future and that'll be good for our kids. That's that's sort of the basic struggle um, as it's laid out. And then you know the movie is kind of like we rally our forces for the big school, the big school board showdown at the end. Yeah. So that and then it sets the stage for the second one, which uh, which is more about how that all plays out, sort of the resiliency of the people in that town, uh, and. And also, one of the themes in the film is uh, processing and and resolution for these people. They, mm-hmm. they, that's what I appreciated. There's so many different themes in the film, but films. God, I keep saying film, and I mean to say films. I'm sorry, uh, but it does feel like a whole. I mean, when I wa- when I watch both of them together, you know, one right after the other, I I did, felt that was a, a continuing journey that happened to be. There was an intermission, shall shall we say, uh, in a matter yeah. of speaking, but uh, but it it feels like there's just so many great themes running through this. But uh, certainly for me, uh, particularly in regard to um, Greta and Dorothea, they felt like their their story and their ability to continually be positive and and I don't I, there's. There's so much I loved about their relationship. Go yeah. ahead, help me out. Help me out here. I know exactly what you're saying because I think what struck me um, is, you know, the, the, for example, you know, there are a lot of people like this, but I'll take, for example, this couple that runs this actual place in Hudson. Yeah. From the outside, you look at them, and they just look like these rocks, right? Yeah. It, my God, they've been doing it for 40 years. They're fighting, and they just look... Um, it looks like nothing can get them down, and it looks like they're just these straight arrows. They're always going to be doing this. But, you know, day-to-day, it's a struggle. Yeah. Day-to-day, it's, they question their, you know, what good they're doing and if they'll keep doing it. Um, I remember when I was reading, um, you know, you, could, you can hardly find a finer human being than Ida B. Wells. And I was reading her autobiography, and she gets to this point, you know, late in her life where she's thinking, was my life any good? Did I do any good? And it's shocking. It's shocking because, again, from the outside, these people look so, um, everything seems so clear to them. Mm-hmm. But there's, when you are in the act of doing, nothing should be taken for granted. And I think that that's why a lot of these institutions and these beautiful things disappear from the world. Because they are taken for granted, you just see these people powering through and you assume they'll always be there. But they may not be. They are vulnerable and sometimes, uh, you know, the forces pushing at that vulnerability just end up being too much. Um, and what a great setup for a comedy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would remind our listeners we're speaking with writer and director Patrick Wang, the di- director of t- 
two wonderful films uh, that are out here in Los Angeles right now as we speak called A Bread Factory Part 1 and Part 2. And um, he is in town on Sunday and Monday That's for, right. for a screening at the Monica Film Center uh, here in uh, Santa Monica. Great, great place to see a film and always a great opportunity, even better uh, enhanced by uh, being with the people who put these these remarkable endeavors together and patrick you're there with uh with a couple of people right you're there with uh yeah on in the afternoon shows on sunday i'll be there with um janet shea and george young and they're the two who play may ray these uh, performance artists from china right and in the evening i'll be there with uh, nana visitor uh, who plays elsa the the translator um and then on monday night i'll be there at the shows with james marsters uh, who uh, who plays Jason in the movies? There are just so many good actors in here, and I I, I we talked a little bit off mic about how much I really appreciate in in all of the films that I've seen of yours uh, in the family and and a Bread Factory Part One and Part Two, your obvious love for film. I'm sorry for well for film actors but actors in general and your yeah. ability to uh it feels like it's a very collaborative endeavor um and you can correct me you're not a hitchcock where you sit you sit in your chair and and point to uh you know to their mark and tell them to hit it you, you just <laughs> it does feel like you are involved in all these different layers in in the production that's well it's, it's funny you bring up the marks because um I definitely am not that, and it frustrates my uh, my cinematographer sometimes. <laughs> okay. Because I am always stopping him from giving actors marks, and not because it's not a useful thing, and not because we should not do it all the time, yeah. um, but it is because I feel like actors, some actors, they can they can process the technical elements very easily, and you can give them marks anytime. Some actors, you have to look at where they are. And if they're at a point where they're frustrated with something or they're, you know, some, some actors are the type that can only hold like two, three main things in their head where a mark would put them over the edge um, to distraction and, you know, of these new things they're trying to handle. And so there's a sensitivity, I think, to just whatever space an actor is in, in that moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it changes take to take. Mm -hmm. And I think that, like a lot of the things, I think the, the, the director's job with actors is to watch and to notice these things. Um, the same way I watch the set. Um, you know, for exteriors, you, you can watch technically for things like light changes, but you also watch as your understanding of something changes. Um, and so, yeah, I, I like watching and noticing things about actors and trying to figure out what will help them um, and try to protect them from the things that will distract or hurt them. Yeah. I feel like I'm about to do you and the film a disservice by even singling out particular actors who I was I just thought were tremendous tremendous performances throughout the film. But Tyne Daly, I, I, think, I think it would be great. Yeah, it would be great that they sometimes you know these I, the films are so chock full of ideas we never get to talk about these specific contributions. So I'd love to. Uh, Tyne Daly and Elizabeth Henry, who are really the 
the rock upon we were talking about those two women from the theater mm-hmm. they truly are tyne is a revelation i mean i i've seen her in other films but i've never seen her quite as um as i say committed but no, that's not the word i'm looking for she 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 seems to have embraced this role she does a fantastic performance fantastic job as well as yeah. elizabeth henry they're both wonderful wonderful performances and um, I just, I, I just wanted. They're just fantastic. I was really uh, taken by um, Brian Murray's performance as Sir Walter, who I, yeah. I, I, and I, lo- and I love the way you introduced. I mean, we were introduced to Dorothy and Greta pretty quickly in the film, but the other people, as you bring them in, you give all of them this opportunity to sort of establish some of the sort of broad parameters of their characters very quickly. And it's one of those gifts that I really think that if a director can do this, if they can give us a lot of information in a relatively short period of time that Mm -hmm. helps us navigate the story through their eyes. And and the quicker, the better, I feel like, in a lot of of ways, because then it gives us a... a, a, We kind of have some idea where we're going. And I think you do a great job with that. But... Sir Walter, I just fell in love with. I, I just thought he was just such a wonderful character. Um, yeah. Uh, who else? And, and Brian, Brian yeah. is. Oh. Um, he, you know, he's known for for being a classical actor for interpretations of Albie. I always remember how funny he is. Yeah. Um, and it was great to let him be all those things at once. Um, and it's, I think, a gorgeous, gorgeous performance. It truly is because, and I'll tell you, just watching, it feels like he's a man who's sort of teetering towards senility. He's older. He's kind of mm-hmm. where, where is he going to be able to do this? And the the scene that I'm talking about that describes what I mentioned just a minute ago was when they're they're doing a reading, and um, I forgot who it was. I think it was uh, who, Elsa, yeah, who said, it, he, she she gave him his line before he got to it. Am I? Mm-hmm. Is that right? That's right. That, yeah. And his reaction immediately gives you a sense of the entire sort of spectrum of who, who he is and what he's about. Right. And I just, I just felt that that was just a great scene. There's so many great scenes in this film. Yeah, I just. But you know, you, you you describe it really well in that you know there it is very dense how you get, how quickly you get to know them. Yeah. And usually that's a strategy you know reserved for these like one scener kind of characters. And the nice thing is that when you have these two movies, you can have that dense introduction to a side character, but then they get very, you just have, you know, four or five scenes with a side character, and suddenly they're so fully realized. Um, It's beautiful, yeah. There's uh, no end to, uh, to talking about all of the different characters and how well they are. They realized in the film, and you mentioned uh, May and Ray, so that's Janice. Yeah, Janet Shea and George Young. And George Young. Yeah. Terrific. And again, their performances. The, and the fact that they're introduced to, uh, to whenever they walk into a, a, a gathering, they're followed by canned applause, which I thought was just a really brilliant, funny way of sort of bringing in this absurdity. Yeah. Uh, of of what what they were about and and then we see the humanity unfold a little bit later in the films but uh it, it's a again i i i love directors who are great with with um 
with actors. I Robert Altman's one maybe my favorite director of all time, and he certainly demonstrated that over and over again. And I I I will mention to our audience for people who are looking for a frame of reference from my point of view, think Nashville, uh, and and beyond. I mean, it, it's there's there's a, a lot of other references, and I I know you are a, a cinephile yourself, and I'm sure mm-hmm. would would. Uh, I don't know if you would concur with my with my analysis there, but uh, of Altman, I, I love Nashville. Um, I I don't know his, as many of his works. Uh, I met him once. Did you? Um, when he was doing is it Tanner on Tanner? Yeah. Um, yeah, the TV series about a politician. Yeah, and you said that you know he liked. He liked actors. I think he just liked everyone. Was my, my sense of yeah. maybe not everyone. That's uh, no one's like that. But <laughs> you know, from what I saw, he was very kind to everyone, yeah. um, and he sort of didn't make a distinction of class. I noticed, you know, whether it's a young person, a you know, a powerful person. Uh, that's what I saw from my my brief moment with him, and it, it left an impression. Yeah. Well, t- tell me about your your st- sort of. In terms of your career, you've uh, directed these four films. They all share the commonality of this empathy for characters, uh, of being able to uh, flesh out a story, being able to deliver an arc to a story that is beautiful, understandable, relatable, uh, an insight into the human um, condition, and uh, all those things. And where, how do you think? How do you feel about your career at this point? I, I mean, you have it. These films are not are not blockbuster terms of the the the, uh, the box office, <laughs> but you're getting an awful lot of recognition as for your work. How how do you how do you sort of reconcile what's going on with that? Well, I you know the, your description of the work was quite nice. You know, those seem like nice goals. Uh, yeah, those seem like nice yeah values to have. Um, they're the things in other people's art that really moved me. Um, and I think that I, you know, we talked a little about the type of characters I see in the world, but I think like the type of meaning I see in the world right. is also a thing I try to reflect. Right. And so if I kind of learn or find purpose or some lesson in something, I just, I, I, I guess the films are just a way to try to amplify that. Yeah. Um, I don't think too broadly. Um, you know, each film I've always just thought about, I always thought was going to be my last, um, or in the case of the first, my only. And I only see that project, and I don't have much visibility into the future, and that may be a nice thing. Um, it, uh, it seems like that kind of temporizing move is, is maybe the only way I could get, fool myself into thinking this is worthwhile or important or... Uh, makes sense to do. Uh, I think if I thought about uh, thought about it all a little too much, I might never do it. So I, I oh. like that I just jump into these. I see something, and also, you know, when 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 you hear a little whisper of inspiration and something is shown to you, it just feels it feels polite <laughs> yeah. to recognize it. And so that's that's always been how I operate, and I don't think too much about career in the future. Well, I, the reason I bring it up is because, I, and I maybe that was—I'm not sure—that was the most artful question I've asked you. Uh, just in terms of just these films are there's just such a high quality to to the entire production. Uh, everything about them is it just is so well done and so well thought through, and and Thank all of it. And they're just we just do not. Yeah, I I just I I. 
I want I want more. <laughs> I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I want more. I want more uh, films like yours. More. I want them to be recognized, and I and I just uh, it frustrates me that it that you you don't get the yeah your films are. I, Wait, let me start over. I know, I know what you mean. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm really. I'm very. I'm. It frustrates <laughs> me. It frustrates me because I spend uh, an awful lot of my life watching films by by amazing film directors, uh, and with a remarkable stories, compelling, and all the rest of it. And it's. It just feels like increasingly the marketplace doesn't quite appreciate it. And I. And I. Maybe this is. I. Patrick, I'm not even sure if I should be talking to you about this in this way. I just, I just feel, I don't know. Well, you know, actually, it's, but it is the theme of the movie, yeah. right? It is this art and commerce, and what do you do it for, right, and right. can you keep going? Yeah. And it's, I, I like that this is, I mean, that's the conversation, and that's the thing that I was struggling with, um, and the reason I wanted to think over these themes. Um, I joke with people that I had no solution, so that's why they're comedies. <laughs> You know, <laughs> the other movies, I had some hope. You know, here there's no hope, so the compensation is laughter. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a re- I mean, in some ways it's an old struggle, but it's a, it's a real one. And, I, though, you know, the way I personally look at it is that I, I don't feel like I came into life, you know, being owed a certain number of movies. Um, and, you know, like certain other you know, indie filmmakers, I feel like when I get one done, it's like you pulled off a heist, you know, and you don't start, you know, thinking like, okay, I need 70 heists in my life. <laughs> you just think, my God, I pulled off a heist. <laughs> well, obvi- I got away with it. Well, obviously, you're sort of the, the band of gypsies that you pulled into uh, uh, into this film and this production. I, uh, I, we didn't talk about the production as much in terms of the logistics of it. You shot this in 24 days, which is, that's insane. That that was pretty insane, yeah. Oh, my God. And now you, you mentioned, I saw in the notes that, that you, they all, we all sort of lived as a, as a commune uh, and a community, a small community, and is sort of a, a, a you're, you know, you you were right there. You could walk yeah, to the set. Yeah, you, I could walk to set. You know, that was nice. But, I mean, to give people a sense of the scale of production. So, you know, 24 days is about 12 days a movie God. for a two-hour movie. That's not crazy. What's crazy is when you think that this is a cast of 100 yeah. speaking roles. It has, you know, there was one day where we had hundreds of extras. Yes. Um, yes. There yeah. is. There are dance numbers and a lot of live singing, and um, so when you put all these things together, then it, it's pretty crazy. Well, and also um, there's a lot of long takes in the film. There's scenes, uh, especially the the theatrical productions, where you're on, you're on these people for three, two, three, four minutes, <laughs> uh, you know, at a time, and it's and these performances. I have to say that's one of the another thing about the film. You have the outside world. Right, people interacting with one another at the libraries and in the community centers, and and, and in meetings uh, uh, re- regarding the f- the fate of the bread factory, but then you stage these productions, and they're beautiful. Oh my God, so, some oh, these you. performances are just remarkable. These soliloquies that are being delivered, the interaction we see in yeah. uh, uh, Hecuba, where uh, where it's oh my God, yeah. they're just terrific Hec- performance. Did I say it Hecuba, wrong? Hecuba, yeah, Hecuba yeah. takes my breath away. Oh um, my God! 
there's an extended sequence. I've always loved classical theater, and I was very happy to get to, yeah, put in a, a section and, and the type of performance as I like to see it. And then the cinematographer, Frank, just, um, yeah, he, he, he did something special that day. <laughs> we, all, we shot that also all in one day. So it's about a 20-some minute sequence. Uh, and we shot it all in one day. Oh, it's and, just, uh, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever considered doing, I mean, you talked about doing a radio production uh, mm-hmm. at theater. Have you ever thought about shooting uh, one of the classics uh, as as one of your films? That's interesting. I, I have thought about it. I, there are many, um, yeah, classical plays I love and I would have loved to shoot. Um one of my favorite directors is Tony Richardson, and I really love his Hamlet. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then there's some Marlowe that I really love. Uh, there's other Greek plays I really love. Yeah, it would be really nice who, one day to shoot a, a classical. Who are some of your favorite directors? Uh, I love, I'll, I'll just say them as I think of them. <laughs> okay. I love Tati. I like uh, René Clément. Um, I like uh, Bergman. Um I there's sort of some one-offs I really love. Sure. Um, I love James Garcia, uh, who directed Electric Light and Blue. I like uh, oh. Peter Fonda. He directed um, The Hired Hand. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, Bergman. I'll be. I mean, <laughs> these are great, great directors you mentioned, and um, well. Visconti, I really love Visconti. Death in Venice. Death in Venice, yeah, and he had these really beautiful early films, uh, La Terra Trema, a wonderful uh, film about this sort of fishing village. Mm. Um, and then uh, he also did a, a comedy with Anna Magnani that, for some reason, I don't doesn't get I think the recognition it deserves. It's a wonderful film. I, I have to tell you a real quick story about Death in Venice. The first time I saw it. I used to be a projectionist at an art house. So, oh, yeah? Yeah, it was uh, down here in Orange County. It was called the Balboa Cinema. We were, we were screening eight to ten movies a week. Uh, we, every other day, basically, we, we flipped the, 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 uh, the films. Wow. And um, the first time I saw Death in Venice, I watched it, and I just didn't get it. I was really struggling with it. I had a hard time understanding, you know, why I should care, what is going on here. And it's the first and only film that this has ever happened to me. I... At the the last very last scene in the film, I got it. I I mean it was like a like this light went on, but literally in the within the last minute of the film, <laughs> the last and and it's it's the scene where the the young boy young man stands at water's edge and he points mm. towards the ocean. Yeah, and. It and it's the, it's the only time it's, I can think of it. It's the only time it's ever happened. But I was like, I don't understand what's going on. Like this, and then see, I needed much longer than you. I I watched it many years ago, and I I was in that boat where I it didn't connect with me. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it just a couple years ago, um, again, and I loved it. Okay. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. So I needed more time than that one screen. So. <laughs> <laughs> well. This is just such an honor to talk to you about your work, and I, I, and I feel like I've been a little meandering here, and I apologize. Uh, and it's, again, it's in the nature of the film. It is. It, it, <laughs> there you go. I've really, I've become, I've come to embody <laughs> a bread factory part one and part two. I, 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 you know what? 
I'd be happy with that. I would be perfectly happy <laughs> to live in that world. I love the sense of community. I love the sense of space that you created in both of these films. It's just a, it's a wonderful place to be. And I, and I was, I was engaged the entire time. I love the characters. I love what they were doing and why they were doing it. And the messiness of humanity, let's call it that. And uh, yeah. it was just, it's a beautiful thing to, to behold. And I, I'm so grateful that you're able to find time uh, to spend with us on the show today. And um, it's a real pleasure, Mike. It, Always a pleasure. It truly, truly is, Patrick Wang. Thank you so much again. The film, the films. Pardon me. <laughs> I, I I keep doing that, and I guess I will. It's my curse. The films are a, a bread factory for the sake of gold, and the second one is called a bread factory. Walk with me a while. Thank you, Patrick Wang, and thank you for indulging my my ineptitude today, and I really appreciate uh, all of it, and uh, we'll be, we will be back in touch, I hope, very, very soon. Thank you. I hope so, too. Thank Th you, Mike. Thank you. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.